Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to another episode of Destination Disaster. I'm your host, Devin Carney. Before we get started this week, I had originally planned on discussing winter storms, but seeing just how bad the COVID-19 crisis is becoming, I think it's imperative that we discuss this. There are a few housekeeping notes that I need to go over before getting started, so please feel free to fast forward if you'd like to get straight into the content. If you are experiencing mild symptoms of COVID-19 and you are not actively having trouble breathing or experiencing any severe symptoms, please refrain from visiting the emergency rooms. Quarantine within your home, stay active, and remain hydrated. The reason why the U.S. healthcare system is becoming overburdened is because those with even mild symptoms are showing up and taking valuable space for those who may be experiencing other emergencies such as strokes, heart attacks, and other forms of trauma. Severe symptoms of a COVID-19 infection include being unable to catch your breath or you are struggling to breathe. You are experiencing severe chest pain or tightness. You have bluish or dusky discoloration of your lips, skin, or nail beds, seem confused or disoriented, and are having difficulty staying awake. This is the point that you should seek help and call an ambulance to transport you to your nearest emergency room. Risk factors for severe sickness include being older than 65, you have diabetes, asthma, heart disease, cancer, HIV, recently received an organ transplant, or have any illness requiring steroids or immunosuppressive medications. The White House and United States Postal Service have just recently finalized a plan to distribute 500 million COVID self-tests to households throughout the country. A website will soon be launched where you can request tests. If you suspect you are exposed, please remain at home as to not expose the public any more than what is already occurring. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have recently updated their quarantine guidelines. Given what we currently know about COVID-19 and the Omicron variant, CDC is shortening the recommended time for isolation for the public. People with COVID-19 should isolate for five days, and if they are asymptomatic or their symptoms are resolving, without fever for 24 hours, follow that by five days of mask wearing when around others to minimize the risk of infecting people they encounter. The change is motivated by science demonstrating that the majority of SARS-CoV-2 transmission occurs early in the course of illness generally in the one to two days prior to onset of symptoms and the two to three days after. Additionally, CDC is updating the recommended quarantine period for anyone in the general public who is exposed to COVID-19. For people who are unvaccinated or are more than six months out from their second mRNA dose or more than two months after the J&J vaccine and not yet boosted, 
CDC now recommends quarantine for five days, followed by strict mask wearing for an additional five days. Alternatively, if a five-day quarantine is not feasible, it is imperative that an exposed person wear a well-fitting mask at all times when around others for 10 days after exposure. Individuals who have received their booster shot do not need to quarantine following an exposure, but should wear a mask for 10 days after the exposure. For all those exposed, best practice would be to include a test for SARS-CoV-2 at day 5 after exposure. If symptoms occur, individuals should immediately quarantine until a negative test confirms symptoms are not attributable to COVID-19. Isolation relates to behavior after a confirmed infection. Isolation for five days followed by wearing a well-fitted mask will minimize the risk of spreading the virus to others. Quarantine refers to the time following exposure to the virus or close contact with someone known to have COVID-19. Both updates come as the Omicron variant continues to spread throughout the U.S. and reflects the current science on when and for how long a person is maximally infectious. These recommendations do not supersede state, local, tribal, or territory laws, rules, and regulations, nor do they apply to healthcare workers for whom CDC has updated guidance. Data from South Africa and the United Kingdom demonstrate that vaccine effectiveness against infection for two doses of an mRNA vaccine is approximately 35%. A COVID-19 vaccine booster dose restores vaccine effectiveness against infection to 75%. COVID vaccination decreases the risk of severe disease, hospitalization, and death from COVID-19. CDC strongly encourages COVID-19 vaccination for everyone 5 and older, boosters for everyone 16 and older. Vaccination is the best way to protect yourself and reduce the impact of COVID-19 on your communities. As I stated in the opening of this episode, my original episode plan for the week was to discuss winter storms. But with the sheer increase in COVID-19 cases that we've experienced in the last two weeks, I think it's important that we begin to face the reality that the United States is about to witness, the failure of an already fragile healthcare system. To preface this, I am in no way a medical doctor or an epidemiologist but it's not hard to see the signs that the fatigue and stress have already caused. Healthcare workers are humans just like us and need a break, but unfortunately, there is no end in sight. Another key takeaway for this episode that I want to share is that this is in no way meant to be political and only a science-based look into what is going to be the worst time here in the United States. To understand just how serious this current wave is, let's take a look at the numbers for the last seven days. As of January 7th, 2022, the current seven-day average for COVID-19 cases is 673,420, and this is only the diagnosed cases that do not include self-tests, leading many experts to believe that cases are increasing at a far faster rate. At exactly this point last year, the seven-day average was 237,683 cases on a seven-day average. Both Delta and Omicron variants, as well as large in-person events and misinformation, have led to the incredible surge that we are currently witnessing. The United States healthcare system cannot support much more. Healthcare workers are risking their lives each and every day to battle this deadly virus. Over the next two weeks, deaths are going to climb exponentially, and we are now beginning to see that trend. Between the 1st and the 7th of January 2022, the seven-day average trend in deaths have already increased from 1,328 to 1,606. To those who don't think this is serious, projection models are placing death rates anywhere between 19,700 to 30,500 by January 29th. It is imperative that we take measures now to protect ourselves and our loved ones from becoming a statistic. 
What many don't realize is that while, yes, the Omicron variant is leading to less severe infections, the infection rate of the Omicron variant is higher, leading to more people becoming infected, therefore leading to a higher percentage of deaths as a result. If the United States does indeed reach the projected models for death rates, this country will easily reach 1 million dead total by spring for the entire COVID-19 pandemic. Where are the dead going to go? If we see this projected number of 19,700 to 30,500 deaths per day, we're not only looking at the collapse of the healthcare system, but the death care system as well. During the initial wave of 2020, we witnessed morgues and funeral homes become overloaded and unable to process the dead quickly enough to meet demand. Now, to put that into perspective, on January 7th of 2021, the seven-day average for deaths was 2,780. If we do see this projected death rate that has been provided by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that would be an increase of 151%. What more do you need to understand that the healthcare system and death care system are already at the point of collapse? We as a society must do better. We have to protect and support the healthcare workers because without them, there is no healthcare system. If we continue to expose them to the levels of stress and exhaustion that they have already seen, there's no backup plan. Hospitals have already been stretched to the point where no more capacity can be added. In addition to the overloading of the healthcare system that we are witnessing now, misinformation has played a role since the early days of this pandemic when it started back in 2020. Conspiracy theories have ruled the web, disrupting the flow of accurate information that the public needs to hear at a time when truly not much was known about the pandemic. Conspiracy theories such as 5G being responsible for spreading the virus, COVID-19 being used as a biological weapon that was imported by the U.S. military, or that China intentionally released the virus from their lab in the Wuhan province. None of this is actually true and only adds fuel to an already scorching hot fire. Early on in the pandemic, we saw effective mitigation measures such as mask mandates, no indoor dining, reduced capacity in retail locations such as Walmart and Target, and many of these measures worked in reducing the caseloads that were witnessed. Now, in the middle of the worst wave that the United States has experienced thus far, only a fraction of states still maintain these effective mitigation measures. This is the only way that we can effectively prevent against transmission when in a community setting. Leaving it up to chance is not enough and leaders in states that have no active measures in place are actively placing their citizens in danger, all at the expense of this quote-unquote freedom of choice. This is why we are seeing the caseloads reach the astronomical levels that we are. Political leaders are not heeding the warning of either the medical or scientific community. If the mitigation measures returned, it would significantly reduce the exposure and community transmission rates that are being witnessed currently. The simple fact that this virus could have been prevented and hundreds of thousands of lives saved is the true failure here. Had better mitigation plans taken place early on, this virus would not be endemic and we could have eradicated it from the United States. Resources in the United States are not infinite, as many may believe, and beds will not always be available. As of January 9, 2022, 81% of ICU beds in the country are currently being utilized. There are currently 81,495 staffed ICU beds. Of that, 65,957 beds are in use and 22,607 of those in the ICU are suffering from COVID-19. According to an article released by The Atlantic, 
COVID hospitalization rates have risen exponentially. In this surge, COVID-19 hospitalizations rose slowly at first, from about 40,000 nationally in early November to 65,000 on Christmas. But with the super-transmissible Delta variant joined by the even more transmissible Omicron, the hospitalization count has shot up to 110,000 in the two weeks since then. The sheer exhaustion has truly taken a toll on the healthcare force that has been on the front line for the past two years. Droves of workers have quit due to sheer exhaustion, poor working conditions, and trauma. What many don't seem to realize is that these vital members of society have lives, and many have families for which they are extremely fearful to transmit COVID to their loved ones. According to Becker's Hospital Review, approximately 18% of healthcare workers have quit since the pandemic began. Since February 2020, nearly one in five healthcare workers, or 18%, have quit their jobs, according to new poll results from the Morning Consult, a global privately held data intelligence company. Where has the support that was there in the initial wave gone? Are we just expecting this workforce to stay and withstand the conditions that they have been subjected to for the last two years? Something must be done now to include providing acceptable wages and provide better working conditions for those who have remained. As I said, resources are finite, and if we continue to see a mass exodus from the healthcare system, we likely won't recover. The next portion of this episode is going to focus on the inevitable collapse that the healthcare system is on the brink of experiencing. One of the key points that I hope you take away from this episode is that there are still other emergencies other than COVID that require care, and if we can't transport our loved ones to emergency rooms or get the care they need, they're going to die. When hospitals reach a certain level of capacity, rationing takes priority. While emergency rooms cannot deny care due to the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, medical staff can prioritize care for those who have a better outcome for survival. In addition to the surge that emergency rooms are experiencing, fire, EMS, and police are battling surges within their ranks as well. New York Fire Department personnel are seeing approximately 30% of EMS workers and 17% of firefighters out on medical leave. The New York Police Department is also reporting approximately 20% of their force is out as well, forcing those who traditionally have Friday and Saturdays off to report to their assigned precincts for assignment. These reports are popping up all over the country. What we are witnessing is the breakdown of essential services that many rely on each and every day. Now, to circle back to the topic for this segment, is a collapse of the U.S. healthcare system inevitable? Yes. It is. In many cases, it has already happened, but those working in this field are so resilient that they continue to fight, which is what this country must do. Everyone is entitled to their own beliefs, opinions, and expressions, but what must happen is for the greater good of the country. Do your part and get vaccinated. If this continues at this rate, there will be no healthcare system for us to rely on. Beginning on December 11, 2020, the COVID-19 vaccine became available to all individuals 16 and older with an authorization being made to administer doses between those 12 and 15 years old as well. There are many communities that believe the vaccine was rushed and that not enough data is available to support receiving a dose of this vaccine. However, this is one of the greatest feats in the scientific and medical community to date. Thanks to COVID-19, or the SARS-CoV-2 virus, being a member of the coronavirus family, it was far easier to develop and administer vaccines. The worldwide scientific and medical community worked around the clock beginning at the initial identification of the virus to develop a vaccine. 
It's not like the world is stuck in 1950, where medical advancements were so slow to take hold. This virus occurred at a time when advanced medical instrumentation was available. According to Medical News Today and Dr. Eric J. Yeager, an associate professor of microbiology at Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, Dr. Yeager said that thanks to advances in genomic sequencing, researchers successfully uncovered the viral sequence of SARS-CoV-2 in January 2020, roughly 10 days after the first reported pneumonia cases in Wuhan, China. The ability to fast-track research and clinical trials was a direct result of the worldwide cooperation. You may be hesitant to receive a dose because you believe that the research is flawed and that the time to research it wasn't the normal 10 to 15 years that it traditionally takes to develop and distribute a vaccine. Funding, research, and collaboration is what attributed to the speed at which this vaccine became available. Please, do your part and get vaccinated. Or, if you choose not to, at least wear a mask. Natural immunity is nowhere as effective as vaccine-acquired immunity. You can be protected from the virus and mutations with very little risk to becoming severely ill. This is one of, if not one of the most safest vaccines to make it to market since the earliest vaccines became available in 1796. I don't create these episodes in a biased light at all. These episodes are meant to inform you and provide clarity to subjects that I'm covering for the week. The simple fact is that COVID-19 is serious and will continue to mutate to a point where it will become highly pathogenic for anyone unvaccinated and anyone at high risk for severe infection. I, as well as the entire community that has done their part for the greater good of public health and disease prevention are tired. Do your part. Do your part. Do your part. It's that simple. Thank you all for listening this week. Normally, I wouldn't make an episode like this, but the United States is beyond its breaking point. Healthcare workers from every square inch of the industry are tired, exhausted, and depressed. We have to do our part to support them and ensure that they can recover from the pandemic as well. Thank you all for tuning in this week. The next episode of Current Events will be available on January 17, 2022. This has been Destination Disaster. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com